If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome back for episode three of our Getting Into Mountain Biking mini-series with me, your host, Catherine Moore. In our first two pods, we covered the techie side of it, what to look for in your first mountain bike and what other kit you'll need to get going. But now we come on to the really fun bit, all about the experience of riding a mountain bike, where to head and who to go riding with. And both Robin and I are delighted to have an extra special guest to join us here today, mountain biking legend Tracy Mosley. Hi, Tracy. Hello, thanks for having me. Tracy, you've had a lifelong career in mountain biking, but could we introduce you by asking you to take us back to where it all started for you? Yeah, um, sadly, quite a few years ago now, I guess, but I can still remember <laughs> just about. Um, so I grew up on a dairy farm um, and had an older brother, Ed, two years older than me. And basically, just as brother and sister, we had bikes on the farm, used to set little challenges up as to you know what could I ride over what could we ride up and down um and when he got to about 14 15 so I would have been kind of 12 13 um mountain biking was the kind of racing aspect was starting to take off and um he just joined some local kids started riding on the our local hill which is the Malvern Hills um and just going a bit further afield on the farm you know starting to ride on the hills riding the local woods and then eventually that led to wanting to race cross-country mountain biking because that was the kind of the, the racing that was happening then. So it was really Ed's kind of influence, I guess. He started going to races. The family went, so I went along with little sister. Um, and slowly kind of he persuaded me really to have a go because it wasn't something that I was particularly interested in. I was too busy doing farming stuff, dog agility, playing music, <laughs> doing all sorts of other stuff. Um, and it was it was really Ed that kind of said, look, you know, you're way better than all these girls that I see at races. You should come and have a go. Um but the cross country was a bit too, I would say, hard work at the time. I was kind of a lazy <laughs> kid. Um, and it was when I started to see the dual slaloms and a few dual descenders, kind of even almost before downhill, really. That's the, the one that kind of interested me. So I think my first kind of real race was a dual slalom race at the Malvern Hills Classic in the, would have been early 90s. So yeah, the gravity side was 
what attracted me to it, I think. Awesome. And I guess being from farming stock, you were absolutely like not shy of a bit of mud, which there was probably plenty of in the <laughs> Yeah, I guess distance. so. I think I just, just grew up being outside. I grew up with yeah. my brother and his friends. So being with the boys, you know, kind of trying to push myself to... I didn't see any difference as to why I shouldn't be able to do what they could do. So I do remember a lot of his friends were kind of, they used to get laugh at, you know, you've got beaten by a little girl, you've by your sister, <laughs> which, you know, at the time was just like, it was just normal to hang out with the boys and to ride. So I think that's why I always kind of didn't really have that idea of what I should and shouldn't be able to do. And it was, yeah, I think, a really, really cool. actually, when you look back now, it's probably a really nice place to be to to not feel those differences and just to be one of the the group riding bikes was, was definitely a key, I think, to me having the skills and not being put off by not having other girls to ride with at the time. Awesome. How about yourself, Robin? How did you get into mountain biking? Well, I guess it's quite a similar story, really. So, um, yeah, same. I've got an older brother and he kind of started um, digging jumps in the woods. And then I would, when if my dad would take me up, I'd go and see what he was up to. And then I'd be like, right, okay, I want a piece of this. So um, he sort of then transferred over to BMX. But I stuck with mountain bikes and it was that sort of that initial freedom that meant I could go with my mates, spend all day in the woods, whether it was just on a massive ride or digging a jump, playing around corners, whatever it might be. And then eventually um, I entered a race, a cross country race. Like Trace said, back then in the early 90s, there wasn't a huge downhill scene as such, but cross country was pretty big. And uh, two lads that lived three doors down that I went to a different school that I didn't really know happened to be going to the same race and we ended up pretty much staying lifelong friends and traveling around together since then nice I think we've all got older brothers to thank for getting into this sort of thing yeah it sounds quite familiar yeah yeah I think in the early days I think a lot of the the girls I mean look at Rachel Atherton it was Helen Mortimer back in the day. She mm-hmm. was an older brother, Kerry Bass, and these are people from you know the nineties. But at the time, it was often often it was the the girls that all raced. It was they did have that older brother influence, so it does sometimes make it easier. But I think now there's so many more options and so much more yeah. visibility of the sport. I think you you don't need to have that sibling to be you. You can just think, I want to do that. Let's go do it, which I think is is so cool now. Mm, definitely. So. For somebody, yeah, who perhaps doesn't have um, family or friends um, directly that can help them get into sort of these sorts of things, um, who would you suggest riding with? So, are there like local clubs and things that people can tag on to as a beginner? Yeah, I think that's that's one thing. That I think that mountain biking is not I say suffered from in some ways, but the kind of the road scene is very much the, there's years of you know histor- historic traditional road clubs and road rides that go on, and that's one thing that mountain biking's because we don't really need a club to go riding because we've got forests, we've got places to ride, we've got bridleways, we've got access to places to ride. You don't necessarily need to ride in a group. I think we, there's not such a good club structure, but there mm-hmm. still is a club structure. So that's certainly, I would say, is a good place for for younger, for kids particularly. There's quite a lot of good local um, clubs around you that will be doing kids coaching. That's a really great starting place to meet people. Um, and I think now with the advent of social media, there's so many WhatsApp groups, Facebook groups of, of local like-minded people that want to get involved in biking. And I'm sure that's probably the the easiest way to do that. And again, often just going to your local riding destination, whether that's the local forest, whether that's the woods, there'll be people there. And it's it's just a matter Absolutely. of kind of like yeah. saying hi, getting you know, generally mountain biking crew are pretty, yeah. pretty social. And that's often the way of just meeting people like-minded at your local riding place. So lots of different ways of doing it. And just, you know, friends in common, someone, you know, oh, they ride mountain bikes, give them a ring, go ride. You know, it's it's such a lovely scene that it's not a hard place, I don't think, to find friends to ride with. 
Yeah, and there's there's um well, like you said, going to your local sort of trail centres, places like that. But you know, places like Bike Park Wales would do stuff for kids in in the holidays and things like that. And then at the Forest of Dean, for example, um, they have the little fodders. So every Amazing. Saturday, I think Saturday it is morning, yeah, yeah, it's and awesome. and it's it's I think it's a two year wait list now to get onto wow. that. Wow, yeah. Um, but it's it's great to see you know the infrastructure that they're putting in place mm-hmm. and how quickly those kids are developing and and just I think more what they're getting out of it, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Um, and yeah, again, as Trace sort of mentioned, there's so much going on in terms of events, um, social rides, things like that. But you you do have to put yourself out there and get involved, sign up to Facebook groups, um, try and just find someone who's maybe a bit more experienced and they should be able to point you in the right direction. Nice. And you touched on events there. Um, so we're not really talking about racing as such, because if you're beginners, that might be a bit daunting to go straight into it. But what sort of participation events are there? What sort of flavours do you get in mountain biking? I think there's there's all sorts, depending on what kind of the enduro. Now, obviously, there's they are enduro mashups are still kind of a race, but they're much more of a, you know, the, the trails are open for the whole of the day. You get a timing chip and you can ride them as many times as you want. So that's kind of like an informal way to kind of to go and ride enduro potentially. Um, but there's also just general kind of rides that are organised sometimes that you'll see. Um, I know Hope Tech, they do a women's ride, which is... I think is that's a, how we met, actually, but you probably don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, organised the Bike Park Wales do women's yeah. rides as well that they organise. Yeah, really cool. Um, yeah, there's and then there's also that kind of the Scott Mountain Marathon, which is like a cross-country endurance event. So again, it it is timed, but it's generally more about the participation mm. than the kind of... the the winning side of it it's almost like a sportive right exactly like yeah. a road sportive so a big beautiful loop that generally you know you don't have to get the map out you can just follow arrows um and they take you off you know on some amazing terrain um so that's another you know, if you kind of want that endurance aspect those are really good events um and i think there's more and more kind of emerging at all the different places you can ride just again it's like you said getting on getting online looking at things and looking at events there's a few Forest of Dean little local kind of mm. summer series, little downhill or enduro events that take place. And yes, it's still a little bit of racing, but it's nothing like back in the day when I first started racing to actually go ride a downhill bike. You almost had to go to a race. There wasn't mm. the bike park wheels and the uplifts and stuff. So mm. I think there's so much more opportunity now just to to go ride your bikes in, in a fun kind of um, atmosphere rather than it having to be a race, which it's so much more kind of, I think, engaging people to actually want to have a go without getting too worried about the racing thing. Absolutely. There's because I'm at the beginner end of the spectrum, I do notice that there are loads and loads of these sort of like getting into racing or getting into downhill, getting into enduro, um, very accessible races popping up. Um, so, yeah, maybe even once you're sort of happy with your skill level and you want to try something like that, um, then there's loads of options out there. But then there's stuff like the Malvins as well. So you could potentially go along and participate or you can just be there to watch and, you know, get stuck into all the other things that they have going on around there. And you're going to inevitably bump into like-minded people and maybe you'll form some friendships off the back of that, potentially. Yeah, I just generally find that mountain biking is such a friendly place. Like I come from a road cycling background and did a little bit of road racing, which <laughs> tend to be quite a lot of like side eye, eyeing up the competition <laughs> and being a bit like weird. Um but you go to a trail centre or you're just like on some natural trails in the middle of nowhere and people just start chatting and they'll be like, oh, have you tried this one? And they'll show you a trail or, you know, 
give you some recommendations for something. I think people are just so friendly. You just yeah. have to ask. And I think that's the nice thing about general kind of, the, especially gravity side of racing. It's it's against, it's you against the clock. It's not necessarily you competing directly against that person next to you, like mm. you are in a road race. So I think there, it takes away some of that kind of like argy-bargy rivalry. It's almost <laughs> yeah. like, you know, ultimately it's however well you can do, irrespective of what, whoever else is around you. So it's more of that personal challenge. I think that sometimes enables it to be much more of a kind of a, a social kind of racing atmosphere as well. And I think as well, just, you know, I, I guess, yeah, from my own point of view, you're just excited to see other people enjoy what you're into. And I think just being able to share that and if it is show someone else, you know, a new trail or give them a hand if they've uh, broken their bike or whatever it might be, it's it's just so nice to see people out mm. enjoying the woods and not be, you know, stuck at home. So we mentioned a little bit there about places you can ride. Maybe you've already got your squad or you're heading out with a few friends or you prefer to ride solo. Where would be your go-to place to suggest a beginner mountain biker should head, Tracy? I think, well, now it's just great because there's so many purpose-built kind of mountain bike trail centres, you know, wherever you are in the country. Um, And that for sure would be my first kind of go-to place because you know you're going to have potentially car parking, a cafe, maybe a bike shop too, depending on where you're at. Um, all those little things that help you when you've forgotten something when you get there. Um, the cafe's and, very important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you've forgotten your shoes or something else. Oh, no. um, and just the, you've got that signage there. So you've got the trails already graded potentially as, you know, the greens, blues, reds. So you can pick your kind of level. Um, it's already mapped out. You've got shortcut routes if you have an issue. You know there's people around if you get into trouble. Um, it's just a really nice, safe place, I think, to start start riding. Um and then ultimately, there's also local woods, there's Bridalway Network, a whole rights of way. There's all sorts of places you can start exploring when you've got a bit more confidence in, in your ability and you enjoy reading a map and you want to try and challenge yourself. So as I think we're actually quite spoiled, I think, in this country with the, the mm. options that we do have um, and the general all-weather riding that we also do in this country. I know some friends of mine in America that their trails are closed when it rains. Wow. So that's one thing, you yeah. know, as long as you're happy to wear your waterproofs and you're going to get muddy. Otherwise we'd, what, ride for a, what, three months a year? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, and also I love the, I was just the other day thinking how in the, the leaves at autumn this year have been incredible to ride and the yeah. colours mm. have been amazing. And I was thinking how nice it is that we do get a chance to, to ride in the same place, but it seems such a different place you know, with those four seasons of the year. And I think as much as, you know, it's hard work riding in the mud and the cleanup operations and nightmare, <laughs> it, it is cool to ride a trail and it, it changes so much over the course of 12 months. It's Definitely. Yeah, it's it's amazing really when you do get into the forest and realise that you're in the same place and you're riding on leaves one minute, you're riding on, you know, slippery dust one minute. For a it's, day. Uh, yeah. We've had a decent We've had a summer. really yeah. good summer. So, yeah, I think we're, we're spoilt for choice really. Yeah. Uh, I'll just echo what Tracy said. Yeah, so... Um, obviously with things like rights away, you just need to be really mindful. So if you, if you are going to head into your local woods, you just need to make sure you are allowed to ride there in the first place. And obviously don't go digging and building things that you shouldn't. Um, but the trail center is the safest place I'd say. And if, um, you've got any worries about where it is, you might be heading. There's billions of YouTube videos where everyone's filmed a descent at some point. So (laughs) you should be able to kind of gauge whether you're, up to it in terms of skill it's it's uh it's probably worth checking out if you can mm. something that i always see if you're heading to one of these like big bike parks like bike park wells for example you see as you're about to get on the uplift or the bus that takes you to the top of the hill saves you a lot of painful pedaling um you always see the signs saying you know start easy and build up i think that's really good advice sort of starting on maybe a blue 
or something that's like well within your comfort zone rather than going in very excited, four guns blazing into a, yeah. a red or a black or something. Yeah, totally. And that's the thing. Places like Bike Park Wells and, and, and other bike parks where they've graded those trails green through to double black or whatever it might be. Um, I think there's, you know, I, I guess some people might think that they just need to go straight in and, you know, get stuck into reds and blacks because that's where all the fun is. But the reality is the greens and the blues are amazing fun. They're so well built. They roll really fast. You, you know, they're as hard as you want to make them. Mm. So they're just as fun as any of the harder stuff, if not more fun because they're not quite scary. Should we just have a quick run through of the mountain bike grading system in the UK? Obviously, it, it varies depending on where you're riding internationally. Tracy, would you take us from green through to, you know, blue, etc., and just sort of describe a little yeah. bit about what you might expect? So, again, it varies a lot, but the kind of general consensus is that green would be your introductory one. So potentially relatively um, flat-ish, you know, without super elevation gains up or down. Um, a good solid surface, so you're not going to hopefully get too much mud and, and leaves and slippery roots and stuff in the winter. Um, a wide enough trail as well, so there is space for you to kind of you know, potentially wobble and get offline and not end up off the side of the trail. And something that's definitely kind of an introductory and even trails that I would take my my little child now to kind of ride, so kind of family style. Um, blues, you'll start to get slightly more elevation, a little bit more kind of trail features, so maybe some kind of speed bumps like you see on a pump track, a few small berms, that kind of um, terrain. That's Again, it's going to be flowing. It's hopefully going to be graded so it's a nice surface all year round. Um, you'll start to build up speed and a bit of confidence, but without kind of having too many crazy, scary features. Um, all rollable would be the key as well. Reds nice. start to potentially get where you can, you can now get more natural root rock terrain you'll get the berms will probably be steeper the terrain will probably be steeper up and down um and you might get kind of more weather effect it might necessarily all be graded you might get some that's just left to be kind of the natural mud or earth and um surface so you'd expect to see possibly some small drops where you might still um, be able to roll off but you could potentially take some some air off but again hopefully depending on the trail center most <laughs> will be generally rollable or to be able to look at before you did blacks then you start to get where you're going to get drops that you will need to kind of jump off drop off take off you can't roll off there'll be gap jumps there where you need to clear the gap between the takeoff and the landing it's not a tabletop where you can roll between those takeoff and landings so you'll need to have some ability to be able to jump properly um and again the terrain will get more steep more technical more exposed root and rock potentially um and just the, the general standard that trail becomes tricky and then double blacks i think we start to see again it's probably just an, an extreme of that the bigger jumps the steeper takeoffs bigger gaps more technical terrain steeper it's just a a bigger version so it's just a nice steady grading system mm. and again i think you know we said about it, it's it's picking the one that suits you but also go back and have fun on the ones below because there's always little hidden secret little takeoff sometimes <laughs> if you're a you know a better rider but the blues and the greens can be great fun for that. So there's no, I'm a red rider. I must always ride reds. There's definitely, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, a, use them all. They're there for everyone to enjoy. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Exactly. Nice. 
Yeah. And then within that, there's like, not to try and complicate things, but I remember going to Bike Park Wells for my first time and riding the blues and being absolutely terrified because they were so fast. And it was a very dusty, dry day as well. And, you know, really fly through there. And if you lose a wheel, then you're really, you know, going at some speed. Whereas on the reds, which are technically harder, sort of routier, you're going at a much slower pace. And I found that much more comfortable. But I yeah. think after some experience, you sort of get used to what your flavour of riding is and what you really enjoy. Yeah, and they definitely, they definitely is a variety between going somewhere that's gravity, gravity fed like Bike Park Wells versus going to the Forest of Dean or any of the Scottish Seven Stains that were the original kind of cross country trail centres. Then there's much more pedalling involved in those, so they're very different whether it's gravity based or or not. I think as to what you'll experience as well at the different trails. So, so much to choose from, and again, it's just finding what what you enjoy as well. Because some people you could ride burn baby berm up in Glentress in Scotland all day long <laughs> you yeah. know just because it's the funnest flowing spermy kind of trail and there's you know there's you find what you enjoy and sometimes you don't have to go and do the blacks just for bragging rights you can actually have more fun on, on the smaller <laughs> stuff brilliant and you mentioned like doing a bit more pedaling there so if you didn't want to head to a trail center and perhaps you want to do an XE loop sort of a bit more countryside bridleways double tracks that sort of thing there are loads of like absolute classic mountain bike loops in the UK and beyond, obviously. Do you have any that sort of spring to mind as particular, like, favourites? For me, it's the Gap in Wales. That's an absolute yeah, classic, isn't it? That is a nice, that's a nice run. That's quite good all weather as well. Mm. I always think that's the important thing, weather in the UK. Yeah. Um, I think having met my husband, James, who lived in the Lake District at the time, we've Oof. had some amazing, you know, big epic days out in the Lake District. And that is challenging terrain. It's definitely mm. somewhere where... You need to kind of have have some skills, have some fitness as well to want to kind of potentially carry the bike at some places if you choose some of those. But there is some incredible big adventures to be had. And pack a jacket. And pack a jacket, and definitely. Some sandwiches. <laughs> <And a few laughs> snacks. Um, yeah, there's so many. And I think it's it's hard to be able to put a you know mm. a finger on exactly what I think we mentioned the um magazines that can do what MBUK do the rides and big loops. And that was one of those things when I first started riding it was like I want to go somewhere new you want ideas and adventures it's like go and go and do a loop that someone else has done before so there's often maps yeah. in the magazines or even just now with social media there's people posting rides they've done I'm sure all the the apps that you can use to track your ride which I'm not a big um <laughs> not one to know much about them but there's loads <laughs> of ways of again sharing and riding places other people have been and that's a really good that kind of you know first experience of passing that that info I think is the best way of finding new places to ride as well. Yeah, apps like Strava and Kamut are really popular, I think. Um, I'm a bit like Trey, so I don't really... Well, we had this... <laughs> there we with your away. paper maps. <laughs> yeah. 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 I still love them. I still write... If I do a road ride, I still write a list of all the places i got to go. Yeah. All the little turns. Yeah. No, no, just the places. Just the place names. Not quite Audax level. No, no, no. So I tape it to your top. Yeah. Turn left Stick at it the... To the head. <laughs> I still like having... I've got the Ordnance Survey actual app to actually be mm. able to navigate myself on it, which I still really and like. That's to a good app. Yeah. yeah. It's a really it. good skill to have. Mm. Yeah. And to know where, you, so yeah, I still love and I love that. Certainly, if they, when I had time years ago, <laughs> when it used to be like, right, I'm going to go and do a four hour road ride, and being able to just like go somewhere and explore a new place and just go and get lost in your in your neighbourhood in some ways, um, it's still really lovely to be able to do that. And you can obviously do that off road as well. It's just incredible the places you can go. Yeah, and and if you do do that and you're using a phone, just make sure you download a map offline. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a good tip. <laughs> yeah, running out of signal, <laughs> it's not good for getting home. Yeah, we do like going to these wild and quite often off-grid places. 
uh, not always that compatible with the internet. I've got to love lack of phone signal. Take a picture of the map. That's what I used to do. Ah. Used to actually, when road riding, actually just take a photo of the the map book page. <laughs> this is we talking a while ago now. <laughs> and that was it. We used to have a photo there, or even nice. I used to laminate a piece of you know road map yeah, and yeah. have it in my back pocket, fold it out. Wow, doesn't seem that long ago, but it obviously is. <laughs> Catherine's looking like I'm from the art. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's like, have you heard of phones? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I have to, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So that's sort of like some really good tips on where to ride, who you can go riding with. What about coaching? Because that's something that's quite popular. Is that something that you'd recommend for beginners? Yeah, massively. I think that's one of the best things that that anyone can do really is to make sure they're getting the basics right first before they start trying to progress their, you know, we talked about the trails before they start going to the next colour of trail at that scale Um, is, you know, are they, have they got a, all those basic techniques right and I think it's often even if you're you know an experienced rider it's still really good every once in a while just to go back and have someone just to make sure that you you still haven't kind of picked up all those bad habits and I think one of the biggest things you can do to again just to curb injuries and crashing like some people just say oh you know wow you're mountain biking that's crazy you don't just crash all the time and it's like well <laughs> realistically no you know and if you are crashing all the time then there's something that's potentially wrong um so you know this shouldn't be something you shouldn't necessarily riding outside of your comfort zone that much that you crash every time you ride so coaching is a really good way of, of learning those basic skills and getting someone else to just check where you're at make sure you're doing things doing things right um and certainly more and more people are you know are out there now offering coaching it's it doesn't have to be a regular thing just every once in a while just make sure that you you're getting the basics and, and don't be afraid to kind of go back to like car park skills you know people want to just go ride go ride but if you can learn to lift your front wheel well you're balanced on your bike you know your braking's in control you're gonna ride better you're gonna ride better trails you're gonna be able to ride more right keep up with your friends you're gonna crash less there's so many things that you can do if you've got all those basic skills so i'm a big fan of making sure that yeah you're doing things right and and not trying to run before you can walk it's which fun- is very tempting oh, i'm sure oh sorry no no i was just gonna say it's funny isn't it because in skiing you know, after day one, you're not going to just shoot up the mountain and do a double black straight off. You'd get some kind of coaching or yeah. tuition or whatever it might be. Whereas in cycling, I think because everyone just learns to ride a bike, they just mm. assume that they just keep doing it enough. They can ride pretty much whatever. But I suppose because the sport's quite young in comparison, um, I think it's taken quite a long time to for everyone to realise the benefits. Like Tracy was saying, just getting those fundamentals in place. You know, there's people that have been riding for years that won't have ever had that in check. And once they go back and revisit it, it is that sort of light bulb moment where they're like, oh, wow, it's completely unlocked this whole new trail or a whole new way of riding. That means I'm less tired. I can get over that obstacle or, you know, just have more fun. So it's uh, probably what seems like a big investment up front, but mm. I think the payoff is is massively worth it. And probably better to sort of get those good habits anchored in right from the very start rather than... Wait 30-odd years. Yeah, and then try and (laughs) reverse the bad habits. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And I think one of the things as well that people... I've always... One of my little things is make sure you look before you leap. And it's that idea of, you know, if you come to something you can't do, you don't just, oh, can I do it? Yeah, just have a go and see what happens. It's like, you know, building those skills. So to be able to, can I jump that gap? Well, if you can't, then let's go back and learn how what skills you need to be able to do that rather than just sending off there because your, your mate in front has it's all these things that I just 
I, you see so many people, you know, that just get hurt and you just think there's no need for that if we're all doing things right and we're taking a sensible precaution as to like, let's just check the trail before we, mm. you know, go down it. And I think people just forget that and they get so carried away with this the fun of riding with their friends. Yeah. Um, and then they miss six months of riding because they're rehabbing oh. some injuries. So <laughs> there's, yeah, there's... So many little little things I think that's important to just take one step back before you take five forward. I guess it depends on your approach, doesn't it? Like I've got lots of friends who are just like naturally gifted or maybe they're able to do something in their mind, which I can't, and they just sort of go for things without questioning too much. Whereas I'm much more cautious and I'll be like, oh, well, try not to. If I'm really not feeling something, I won't let peer pressure give in and I'll think oh, well, that's something to come back to next time and work up to. It's, is it worth mentioning a bit about peer pressure or can that be a really positive thing? I think it d- depends. And I think it depends on who you're riding with in many ways. It's like if you've got a group of people that you trust and you know and you know, then sometimes if it is just the fact that you're just being a bit of a wuss that day and they know and you actually know deep down you've got the skills to do that, then sometimes you do need that little bit of a, mm. a shove to say, come on, You've ridden something. And again, it's experience builds these things. You can say, well, you rode that at that place. It's exactly the same, same technique, body position the same. Come on, let's do it. And sometimes people just need that little kick to to actually make them (laughs) do it because they are just battling with themselves. And it's knowing whether that's required or whether actually that is out of their skill set. That is potentially a, mm, you might get rid of it, you might not. Then you don't need that helpful friend saying, "Go mm, on, yeah, just follow me," got it. <laughs> because they actually aren't helping. If so, I think yeah. that's when you need to judge whether or not it's, yeah, it's useful because you're actually just being a bit worse, or if you're actually rightly so, knowing that that's above your ability, then don't do it. And it's yeah, it's what kind of friends have you got? I think yeah. important to whether or not you take their advice. To yeah. be honest, if you trust them, and it's just a case of trying to gauge speed, maybe then you follow them in. Yeah, and it's totally fine. If one of your closest riding friends says, no, don't give it a shot. And and you completely um, believe what they're saying, then maybe you take that advice rather than get all gung-ho and, you know, break a leg trying to send a jump. <laughs> Probably best avoided. Probably, yeah. if you can. And so coming back to coaching then, where's a good place to look for a coach? Like, where do you find a good coach? I think now these days, again, trail centres the, the the places that you go ride bikes there's generally somebody kind of based in that area often coaching from that venue I would say is mm. the first bet um, maybe local bike shops again the good, the good old internet Google searching for, for mountain bike coaching again I think you have to be a little bit careful with that because potentially there is obviously people have to be qualified but you could almost just go and do a qualification and say hey I'm a cycling coach um, without maybe having years and years of experience. So I think it's also important that word of mouth, you know, knowing someone mm. that's been to see, have coached with someone, and then that's always a better way of doing it if if you can. Um, and yeah, maybe just trying a local cycling club. There's lots of ways of, you know, looking up um, and again, trying to get some reviews or some feedback before you just go to someone that you necessarily don't know. Um, but yeah, there's, I think the whole mountain bike community is not that big a place and word of mouth is generally the best best advice, I think. Definitely. Great. And there's different there's different formats of coaching as well, aren't there? Like you can get one-to-ones, which are probably really, really helpful because you get a lot of attention, but maybe a bit more pricey. Or you can sort of get the all the way through to sort of group sessions, which are probably a bit more accessible price-wise. Um, and with- I, yeah, so sorry, uh, speaking to some of the coaches that I know, I think um, they seem to think that it will depend on the personality. 
mm. of that person they're coaching, whether it's better as a one-to-one or better as a group. Sometimes you'll have people within that group which will just seeing someone else do that action will then make them want to go and do it rather than seeing a coach who's way more experienced and a much better rider doing it. They don't necessarily feel like they can emulate that, mm. but it's that... Um, Relatability. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, interesting. Or um, potentially that sort of um, competitive side of things that might push people on a little bit. Yeah. Or also, I think the opposite of that, taking the pressure off them. If you're in a group situation and it's... The one-to-one is quite intense because it's like it's, true, it's yeah. you, you, you all the time. Whereas in a group <laughs> situation, sometimes it might take a you know a little bit of time to absorb what they've said, and you can watch, like you said, watch other mm. people. I think is a really, really good way of learning as well as watching others. Um, and it's also then it's not like you know if you get it wrong, someone else is going to get it wrong in the group as well. It's not quite such a kind of intimidating atmosphere. I think so. Again, you think you're quite right. It depends. Um, if you can get a group of friends together that you all know as well, yeah. then that's probably a really good way of doing it. If you're looking to develop the same kind of skills. Um, but yeah, I think as maybe a time and place off is a certain thing that you're really stuck on, then maybe it's a, a personalized approach is also mm. better than a generic one. Um, and everyone learns differently, don't they? As well, like sometimes I said, it's really good to watch others, but then it can also be really negative to to stand and watch a bunch of people on a certain feature that you're scared of doing, because then you'll watch maybe fifty percent of them do it well, fifty percent not do it well, and then you think, oh, well, if they've crashed on it, then how am I ever going to do it? Mm. And it's quite an interesting space where you can get yourself into and actually I've had this loads of times in racing where I've watched particularly you know the guys racing a, a certain section and think oh my word they're making it that look really hard how am I ever going to do this and then suddenly I'll push back up and do it and you'd be like oh that was absolutely fine like, <laughs> what was all that fuss about and that's that's more often the case than it is the other way around and it's like because we all have different skills you ride things differently and it's easy to to just see other people and think, oh, that must be really hard because of this and then talk yourself mm. out of it. So it's often, again, really important that you kind of choose who you follow. Like you said, yeah. you know, Rob, about making sure that you, you follow a good, a trustworthy wheel. Mm. Um, and also, yeah, just just knowing, um, yeah, knowing when when's a good time to kind of to follow and take that advice and when not to, I think. From a racing level, for sure, I think often the the difference between winning and being fifth in the race, it's not often ability, it's often who's got the strongest mental attitude to be able to get the best out of them on that on that one moment, on that one downhill run. Um, and I think, again, it, some of that comes with experience of, you know, knowing how you've overcome that in your in yourself, by you know, in other situations. Some of it does come, definitely, especially these days. There's so much more help and advice to professional athletes out there. So having a psychologist, sports psychologist, is a big part of, you know, the success of most top athletes now. Um, and that's can filter down to whatever level to be honest you know if you're if you're riding and you're really getting stuck on certain things i think first start talking to your peers and your friends that you ride with is is there a way that have you ever had this experience before how did you deal with it that's the first port of call and then potentially yes there is there's no harm in you know having some psychology and, and helping because it's it is such a such a tough sport on your mental attitude and if you sometimes you just have a bad day and actually it's okay to have a bad day and you can't sometimes force force that you know sometimes you just ride your bike and you just it just doesn't happen Mm -hmm. and other days you feel invincible so you kind of have to read into those as well and and go with that um but yeah the confidence thing the whole peer pressure there's so many aspects of like people are watching me or i'm just not it's it's fascinating really and yeah definitely get looking into it don't shy away from it and and speak to people about it get help if you need to it'll it's only gonna you know make your riding improve and there's obviously there's you know, when you get into something new, 
you normally experience a relatively steep learning curve. Mm -hmm. But as you get better and the things required of you become more complex, more um, generally just harder, that will normally sort of start to plateau. And that's when you're likely to start to come across these stumbling blocks, which is where, like Trey said, you might need a bit of help. But yeah, speaking to your friends, especially if you've got anyone that's more experienced than, and you've seen them already kind of go through that sort of thing, that's probably the best and easiest way initially. But there are, there's so many resources now, mm-hmm. even just books that might not even seem particularly relatable. There might be nuggets of information within those which are well worth a listen to. Podcast too. Oh. All the trend, aren't they? All the trend. <laughs> I love a good um, old-fashioned, not old-fashioned, um, Instagram video or something. Like all sorts of little tips about, uh, I can't remember who it was saying, about singing as you go down a trail because it occupies a certain part of your brain so then mm. you can be less fearful. Or well, my boyfriend's now make, made me start saying a mantra, like a really positive, upbeat thing before I drop into a yeah. trail that I'm really nervous about. I'm not sure if it helps. But no, but that's <laughs> I mean, yeah. my experience of racing, like you had some people that would sit there and like and yes, I did it, you know, run through the course in my mind to make sure I'd remembered it. But equally if I sat and did that for the entire 15, 20 minutes before my start, I, I could end up getting yourself so kind of in this heightened state of like, ah. Oh. Whereas I was generally way better off when I just sat and chatted to people at the start. To a point, you know, still focus on what I'm doing, but just to a little bit of distraction theory. And that's, again, it's everyone's a bit different. And some people got so nervous at the race starts that they, you know, they've never performed great. So it's finding out what works. You know, like that whole, you know, having something going on in your head to distracting you can be a really good thing to kind of curb some of those nerves. But at the same time, I find when I'm actually riding, I need to focus on certain things and just being, you know, remembering what's coming and thinking, right, it's this, it's that next, that next. And like focusing the mind rather than just being like, off with the fairies as well so it's everyone's different and it's working out what works for you as well is is the important thing i think and it's okay to have a bad day you can't always keep progressing some days are just going to suck and it's not going to feel great but as long Mm. as you just sort of get back on the next day and or whenever it is and keep plugging away stuff will soon click and it's all for fun at the end of the day i guess unless you're a, a professional racer like we do this as an escape or as you know a hobby um for a lot of people so Bearing that in mind and not letting it get you too down or frustrated oh, if there's definitely. something you can't. And I think sometimes just stop and hopefully see where you are if you're out in nature and you're in the local woods, you're at your local trail centre, you're in a beautiful place surrounded by nature and noises and sometimes just be like, ah, just take the fire road for a cruise and just see what you see. And, you know, it's we're so fortunate that we're doing something that's outdoors, fresh air, healthy, and just sometimes you, you get so wrapped up in the trail, what you want to achieve, rather than actually like where you are and what you're doing and sometimes you just need to sometimes step out from that and be like okay this is actually nice I'm out, you yeah. know, I'm out in the woods I'm mm. not stuck in the city somewhere or um, you know just appreciate where you are and what you're doing I think that's important as well it's kind of the whole point right yeah exactly I think it's so it's so easy just to be like focused on nailing that mm-hmm. drop that yeah. drop or it's like rather <laughs> than actually up again. <laughs> in, rather than just enjoying being out on a bike and the freedom that that is really yeah mm. That's a very wholesome way to wrap up, I think. Should we leave it there? (laughs) So thanks for tuning in. And don't forget that we'll be back next week for the grand finale of our new four-part mini-series. So far, we've tried our best to impart our best advice by telling you what you should do. Now we're turning to our own mistakes and sharing our own experiences of what not to do with 10 things we wish we knew when we started mountain biking.
Do subscribe so you don't miss an episode and ping us an email to podcast at bikeradar.com with any techie questions you want answered. Robin and Tracy, thank you for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 